Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today is Irene Deutsch. She's the Managing Director of Australia's oldest jewellery house and it's called Fairfax Roberts. They opened their doors back in 1858. That's 160 years ago. After all these years, Fairfax and Roberts still handcraft their signature pieces right here in Sydney, their very own showroom. And then along comes Irene, looking for a new challenge. She's had 25 years in banking with leading financial teams for the likes of Macquarie, Goldman Sachs, the ANZ, so this wasn't an obvious next step for Irene. This this is one of those classic stories. I mean, you know, jewelry is allegedly anyway. We'll explore this is about love and affection and all these various emotions. Well, Irene, she didn't know this. She was in love. Her partner was the owner of this business. Now, apart from marrying this guy, very soon. She is in right in the deep end because she is now a part owner and is now the managing director of this business. I want to know how does Australia's oldest premium jewellery company reinvent itself? I want to know what did Irene learn, what emotions did she learn to deal with when she was at various banking institutions as an investment bank and how has she transferred that across to understanding the emotions of the client and of the transaction or someone like Fairfax and Roberts? What is she doing and what is she bringing that is new to this organisation in terms of thinking, strategy and drive? Is there some way that she may be able to disrupt the traditional market of jewellery? Or is that just a game you've got to continue to play, but play it in a fresh and fashionable way? So let's get into it. Irene Deutsch, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. <laughs> Irene, of course, is the uh, co-owner and forward slash MD of a mob called Fairfax Roberts. And we're going to talk about Fairfax Roberts in a minute. But the first thing I want to do is talk about Irene Deutsch. Now, Deutschy. <laughs> Give me the story. Uh, go back. Uh, she's pretty young. But, uh, go back um, 20 years. Where were you? 20 years ago, early 30s, um, I was in banking. So I've spent the majority of my career in banking, 25 years. I'd say I was probably at Macquarie Bank at that stage. And when you say banking, I mean, banking moves a whole lot of shit to me um, yes. and probably to our audience. People yep. think people standing behind a teller. They think uh, you'd maybe do a mortgage for them, explain what you mean by banking, particularly when you talk about Macquarie Bank because that's not your typical bank, especially then. No, exactly. So I guess I was in what people would refer to as investment banking. I've never stood behind a teller um, and I spent most of my time in markets. So what that means is anything listed and I started my career in equities and morphed into foreign exchange interest rates, but anything that's listed or traded. Um, Most of my career was spent in sales um, which is my passion, and um, a bit of marketing and um, dealing mostly with high net worth and ultra high net worth customers and also some corporates. I think it's probably important for our audience because I mean, there is some relationship between Fairfax Roberts and Macquarie Bank. Um, it's not a business relationship. I don't mean between the two organisations, but in terms of how you cross over from one to the other, I mean Macquarie Bank is well, – let's explain to our audience what Macquarie Bank was – as an investment banker at Macquarie Bank, what was Macquarie's rep and, and reputation and who did they deal with? Who did they service? Let's let's establish that. Is it different to the Macquarie Bank of today? But going back then, this is before yeah. Macquarie Bank probably even had a banking licence. They weren't retail. Yeah. Early days, you know, it was um, dealing mostly with individuals and, and some institutions. Uh, it was known as being innovative, 
and full of, you know, very smart people. Um, it was also known as being aggressive and tough too. Yes, I was going to say maybe sometimes people thought they were too smart. Um, it was called the Millionaire's Factory. Yes, it is. It still is, <laughs> is it? It, was, it definitely well, was called the Millionaire's because they made they, – the millionaires weren't – they weren't talking about millionaires as a customer. They're talking about no. making millionaires as employees. Employees became the millionaires. Yes, exactly. And so it's a difficult thing because you kind of want your banker to be smart enough to make you money, in which case they're going to make themselves money, but then you get a reputation that you're making money, you know, at the expense of a customer. Having said that, I love it as a bank. I loved it then. I love it now because of its innovation. Um and it was back then what I would call a series of small businesses. So when you ran a business, you were running your own business and um, you are allowed to therefore create what you wanted to create within the confines of a compliance Well, you couldn't framework. fuck around. I mean, like if you made a mistake, you're out on your ass. But at the same yes. time, if you didn't do something um, unusual or create something that was a bit unusual and not out there but just a bit unusual in order, in order to cut through um, – they, they put you out on your ass too because you weren't making enough money. So either, either way – you had to sort of travel down this very narrow street. You know, like on one hand, you couldn't be so conservative and do nothing because you wouldn't make enough money for the organisation or, mm. or you definitely can't make – on the flip side, they're expecting you to make the money. So you have to do that, you have to cut through. You can't do what CBA, was, Commonwealth Bank was doing or Westpac was doing. You have to do something different. Yep. So you have to be a bit creative. But if you stuff that up, you're also out in your ass. So like yes. there's not and much so- room to move. No, but, you know, that's a culture that you either fit into or you don't. And I loved, I thrived in that. Did culture. you start there? I started as a graduate. Did, did they gra- um, uh, recruit you from uni? Yes. Yeah, so Macquarie used to get out to universities in those days. They probably still do and find all the best students. Yes. So where did you, um, which tertiary education institution did you attend? I did a Bachelor of Commerce at New South Wales University. Yep. Yeah, the great university to do BCom. Um, <laughs> still is one of the hardest universities in the country to get into commerce faculty today. Right. It's about 98% um, whatever they call it, ATA or they call it these days. Um, so you must have been pretty smart. East Suburbs girl? East Suburbs girl. Yeah, yeah. Rooster supporter? Rooster supporter, yeah. still am. Which school did you go to? Sydney Girls High. Sydney Girls High, Okay. Smart East Suburbs girl. That's one of those. That's what they call those schools. Uh, selective school. selective school. So, Irene gets in a selective school, goes to Sydney Girls High, graduates, probably does well on the HSC, well enough anyway to get into the Commerce Faculty at University of New South Wales. Um, graduates from the University of New South Wales, gets headhunted effectively because you know. The banks all used to go into the universities, I know, because I went to that university and they went and basically looked for who was good and they just offered them a job. Mm. Um, picked up by Macquarie. Macquarie only picked up all the really smart, super smart kids because all the super smart kids also saw a dollar in front of them and they thought, well, I'm, I want to go to Macquarie. So you, you took the job at Macquarie. You started in the Millionaire's Factory. Um, pretty, it's a full-on joint. Um, it was then, probably much more full-on then than it is today. What did you learn out of that experience in terms of the Macquarie customer? And what have you taken from that to Fairfax Roberts? Yeah, well, that's interesting. I obviously dealt, as I said, with the high net worth and ultra high net worths. And even when dealing with corporates, you know, the CEOs and owners of those corporates were high net worth individuals. So always dealing with that um, echelon of client. Um, And they're obviously smart and you learn a lot from them. Um, And a lot of them are people who are self-made Um, So they've got very interesting stories and they're very driven, so you learn a lot from that. But the interesting thing is, and quite often the customers are crossover, they're the same person who might walk into Fairfax and Roberts and buy a piece of jewellery for their wife or loved one. Um, It's a different kind of sale. So in banking, I guess what you're appealing to is fear and greed, Mm. Um, people wanting, expecting you to either protect their wealth or increase their wealth, whereas when they walk into a jewellery store, it's all um, out of emotion. Um, and it's, I quite enjoy that because it's completely different and, you know, everyone who's walking out of our store has a smile on the face. I love that. There's a connection between the two. So, you know, I'm not the world's best at this sort of stuff but when it comes to, like, these emotions. But, like, let's just look at – because fear and greed are emotions too. Yes. Um, and then you're talking about love and affection as the mm-hmm. other emotion. Yeah. 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 Um, so um, can we talk about those three emotions for a moment? Let's just start with fear. Um, what do you, what do you, and as a banker, what did you experience as fear? What, I mean, what is the, the emotion of fear that you saw and that you serviced yes. a, as a banker? Well, primarily losing their wealth or, or losing money. Um, and if it was a corporate, you know, 
it's, it's obviously a great amount of fear because you're letting people down. So, you know, that's where the in, sort of insurance sale would come through. How do I protect myself from movements in the market or adverse movements so that I don't lose any of my wealth? Um, and but quite frankly, that's an easier sell. But what is the fear? I'm guessing it's a fear of failure. Fear of failure, yeah. okay. And uh, and where do you think that fear comes from? Is, is, it a, is it based on them wanting to protect themselves, their own reputation, um, or is it genuinely worried about their client? Or do they don't give a fuck about their client really because they don't even know them a lot of times? I mean, is it more about I don't want to let you down or by letting you down I'm going to fuck myself up? Yeah, so we're now talking about the banker or the client? As a bank. As, As a, a bank. banker. So me personally, I would have wanted to look after them and make sure they were okay. But obviously there's but a lot of But is that a genuine related. thing? I, I don't know if every every banker is like that. But I know every client like that. for every client. Yeah, but you know, with, when you're in sales, you can do anything to get one sale. But if you go about it the wrong way, um, and when I say that, if you're untruthful or unscrupulous, that might be the last sale. But if you want to bring a, a build a long term relationship with a customer, then you've got to build trust. But is that about your greed? But well, I don't mean greed in a greedy yeah. sense. But you wanting to achieve your budget and you wanting to impress your person you report to, and so. I'm just trying to get my head around this because yes. I've never been in this territory, but I've often wondered about it. Mm. Um, I know that my client is fearful of losing their money. Mm. So um, they need a defensive strategy from me, yes. their banker. I want to make sure that I um, meet budget that's been imposed on me as a Macquarie person because if I meet budget, I get myself a big bonus because they pay big bonuses. I used to pay big bonuses at Macquarie in those days. And also if you continually make budget, you go up the ranks of Macquarie. You know, you move yes. up, the, up the chain. And also I'm a female in your case, um, so it's I've got to work a little bit harder to get up there because it was a bit of a blokey joint back then. Yes. Um, so I've got to, so I, therefore I've got to make sure I really play to my client's emotion fear and – because otherwise I won't achieve what I need to achieve. Is it as simple as that? For me, yes. Yep. So as an individual, um, you know, for, I like to build the long-term relationships with my customers. I like them to trust me. I think the best salesperson is someone who can tell you what you're, they're charging and you'll still deal with me and you'll follow me because you know I'm trying to do the best for you. That's the best salesperson. Anyone can sell something by being mistruthful or charging the least. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get what you pay for in my opinion. So I genuinely wanted to look after my customers. I wanted their business to continue so that I could continue to service them. So yep. there was certainly a self-serving factor to it, but they're aware that I was being self-serving. You know, I wasn't ever underhand. Sort of, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I would never say you should be underhand. No, but, and but, I but, can't but, be, I'm not, I'm not a good it's liar. Not your, it's not your, it's <laughs> no, not your go, but like, but I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing though because when we talk about fear and greed, if you're servicing their f- fear, and if greed can be loosely described as me, Irene, the investment banker, trying to make a quid and earn my jo- make sure I maintain my position and get myself a bonus, which I deserve because I work hard and I get results, let's call it advancement, which is fair. And I'm a girl and I want to make sure I, I get a fair crack in this joint because all the blokes are, you know, getting a, a, probably a head start at, in particular in those days. So – it's sort of the, the two are diametrically opposed, but at the same time they're exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, well, you're describing a conflict that. Well, it's not a conflict. I don't think it is a conflict. I actually, that's my whole point. Yeah, okay. I don't think it is a conflict. Yeah, okay. I think. And I agree. That's what I'm trying to th- say. That's the whole point. Because also, if you're wanting to deal with someone in a bank, you're a client of someone in a bank, and they're the best, and they've gone up the ranks, totally. and they're the most. Would you rather deal with that guy? Or someone who never made a sale because of such a hundred percent for fuck sure. You never got a bonus and never got a promotion. You, you know? Mate, I, I'm I'm with you hundred percent. So yeah. I I think they look like they're diametrically opposed. Yeah. In other words, they look like they've got conflict yeah. written all over it. But in actual fact, it's symbiotic. Yeah, yeah. And unless I have that greed sitting in me, I can't service you, my client, properly. Because if I don't give a fuck whether I make budget or I successfully help you protect your assets and or make money, then I won't make money. So if I don't care about making money myself, then what good am I to you? Kerry Pag once said to me one time, he said, um, have you ever failed in business? And I said, no, I haven't failed. He said, what fucking, what good are you to me? And, and the reason he said that to me is because he thought if I've never failed, um, then you don't have the experience of being able to recover. And, and you're like, you're not good at, are you strong enough to recover? Yeah. And that, that's sort of quite an interesting concept. It was, it was um, for me, it was um, sort of completely the opposite to the way I thought. Kerry was always a, a counterintuitive thinker. And what you and I are discussing, fear and greed, 
it's sort of counterintuitive to most of us to think that if you all got fear and I'm greedy, that I can actually really look after you. When in fact, yeah. that's sort of nearly a necessary component. Yes. Maybe it's not sufficient, but it's definitely a necessary component, component in a logical sense. So yes. you need to have more components which make it you know, sufficient to service a client. But so that's really interesting because fear and greed, I think, go together. And a lot of greedy clients, and we're talking about the client now, a lot of greed from, from people when it comes to a client, my, my experience, or people I know, a lot of their greed is driven from fear. Mm. I want. I'm greedy. This is what they say, or this is what they think subconsciously. I'm greedy. I need to have this, this, and this because I'm actually feel a little bit um, insufficient relative to everybody else around me, yes. and therefore I need to build it up. You know the old jokes about Porsches and stuff like that. Yes. So um, yeah, I mean, did you? I mean, did you play? I know you're not a psychologist, but did you uh, often sit there thinking to yourself? Um, well, this fucking psychology, these individuals, is fucking crazy. You know, like um, there's not much difference between fear and greed. Yes. Well, that's part of being a salesperson is being able to, uh, to read someone and understand exactly what it is they're looking for, what's driving them and play to that. Yeah, yeah. Help them with that. Without being but, sort of underhanded. like uh, Exactly. Or, you know, up front, you know. Yeah, but it, I but, understand what you're looking for and this is the solution. Yeah, that's yeah. basically. You must have had a ball when people came, especially the Macquarie-style clients because Macquarie attracted, you know, all the big names and, you know, like because everybody wanted to go there because Macquarie, to be frank with you, particularly in those days, were the best performer. I mean, they, they outperformed everybody. They had the best access to new floats. They had the best access to everything. Um, and uh, maybe less so today because they're more of a bank. Mm. Well, they've, got a, they've got a lot more bank involved in them today, more retail. But irrespective, it would have been a fascinating environment for you to be able to, and a great learning curve for you to see how individuals are. Yes, um, definitely. And back then you'd really had to fight for the clients so – you know, you were on the phone a lot. I mean, I started... Servicing you, you mean? My first job there, they handed me the yellow pages and I opened it, A, at accountant and started making phone calls. Really? That's how I built my client base. Seriously? Yes. So you really had to work hard for a dollar. I ended up at ANZ, which is obviously the complete... Um, you mean you, you, you left Macquarie and went to ANZ? I left Macquarie, actually went to Goldman. Yep. And back to Macquarie for a stint. Another big name, I, Goldman yes. Sachs. Like that, for those people who don't know, that Goldman Sachs is a huge global name, um, bigger than Macquarie, bigger than all, all the banks when it comes to investment banking. I couldn't believe it when I got there because the phone just rang with all the big names because if you're super wealthy, you have to have a relationship with at least one of these big retail banks yep. you just do. Um, and so I couldn't believe how lucky these people were. So that's also what Macquarie, I think, gave me a bit of mongrel, you know. Yeah, yeah well, Macquarie definitely uh, developed well, developed mongrel in people and that's an interesting thing. You're obviously a woman. I'm stating the obvious <laughs> but anyway, I'll state it. Yes. Um, there's a lot of discussion around this thing today, you know, about women, you know, in business and women not, you know, having, not having had a fair go many years ago. This is a lot different today. How do you think those places shaped you as a woman? Do you think they – what do they do for you um, as a woman in terms of business or did nothing at all perhaps? That's a really interesting question. I didn't my entire career felt held back as being a woman but I think I'm lucky. I'm not saying I don't think it exists because I do think that that exists. I think it – you can't help I was in a boy's world. I think it's made me a bit – like of a boy, if you know what I mean. But in business, I don't feel any. I could walk into a room full of men and start speaking to them, or get up and speak in front of them, and I don't have. Any but well, why with that. is that? Is, is that because if you're a barbecue, do you, is is Deutsche she going to hang around with the blokes at the barbecue and have a mag to them about footy or Brewsters or talk about your? You've got two sons. I've got two sons. Uh, you talk I'm about your two sons. Them, yeah. or, or is that is that Irene, or is that whether she worked at Macquarie or otherwise, or is um. Or is Oren going to uniquely walk between the females and the males? I mean, is that what's your your thing? I think I actually feel more comfortable in the male world. But if I think back, I've got two older brothers. I had a very sort of charismatic, domineering father who, who I was very close to, and I felt I loved the. Guys. That's your comfort zone. That's my comfort zone. Okay, so so and maybe d- I was drawn to that anyway. Well, I mean, I was, I've always been driven. Um, I've always. You know, I guess I, that sales personality has always been me. I'm a people pleaser. Um, I can handle the strong men. I call myself the, you know, grumpy old man whisperer. So those clients are those difficult grumpy old men. I love those. I need I to like whisper it. every now and then. I got described as a grumpy old man. Yeah, you might be getting to that uh, stage. I'm actually, fucking well and truly in that stage, <laughs> let me tell you. Now, actually, I was talking to my farm manager who's – 
Pete, I, I, I guess he won't be upset that I mentioned him. We've just employed he, – he's a little bit younger than me, two years younger than me, and we just employed a young fellow in his 20s. Anyway, last week – he's only been there a week and um, on the farm. And uh, him and the, the young guy had a, had a Barney. Pete said, oh, fuck him. You know, he can't speak to me like that and he's got to go. And I said, Pete – and he, call, he called me a grumpy old C. And I said, well, Pete, maybe you are a grumpy old C. Like, mate, I am. I'm one. I mean, just accept who you are. I mean, as you get older, you, you can get that way, you know, yep. like as testosterone runs out of your system and you just get a bit crankier. I spoke to Peter an hour and a half on the telephone because he's a country boy, he's a farmer, always been a farmer his whole life. He's my cattle guy up there. And he sent me a text this morning. He said, I said, Pete, what are you going to do now? Is you got to step back and accept that's what you are, accept that's how he sees you. And today you've got, if you want to keep people of that, age group on the phone because he's a big, strong, young lad. You want those big, strong, young ladies. We don't want older blokes on the phone because they can't, you know, they can't work, give you the output. You have to accept the way he sees you and not and, and make sure that you don't do anything that offends the kid today. And Pete texted me this morning. He said, mate, he come in, he apologised. We've made up and I think it's all going to be good. And he said, thanks for the talk I had with you on the weekend. I had with him on the weekend. And, uh, and I think we have to accept that in our – some of us, like me, I and because I, I – to be frank with you, I have the um, I have the luck of being able to be a, a cranky old bastard because I'm in a position where I can be that way. I know my staff often think that here, um, and I'm pointing to them over here. Um, and it's a difficult thing to have to deal with those type types of people, but it is part of the furniture. So you're used to doing that. Yes, I enjoy doing it because you'll get them at Fairfax Roberts for sure. They'll yes. walk in, think they own the joint. Yes. They can buy anything they want. So the male, some of these male clients prefer to speak to me. I can handle them yeah. and I can diffuse a situation and say, come on, you know. And I could do that with um, senior um, members of the team, you know, in the banking world, with clients. Um, and I don't know why, but I enjoy it. I love it. I love all How do you disarm them? Humour. Humour. Yeah. Yeah. That smile? I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and I wonder if it comes back to the experience, maybe you learned how to humour your dad. Oh, definitely. Were you the – so you've got two old – you've got two, two brothers. older brothers. Yeah, so – and you're the little girl. Yes. The, so, I mean, I, I tell you something funny. My brother has got four kids and his daughter's completely – my brother is the meanest, toughest son of a bitch in the world. Like he's my lawyer. He's been a lawyer his whole life. He was an investment bank. He was a managing director of ING Bank for a while there. He's a tough bastard. Kerry offered him a job, you know, 20, 20 years ago. My brother told him to fuck off. I mean, he's, that, he's like that, right? Yeah. But when his daughter's – He's so tough on his boys, it's ridiculous. But when his daughters say something to him, he just melts mm. and they completely disarm him in a second. I say maybe in other words manipulate him, but yeah. they disarm him in a second and he goes to water, completely goes to water, and, um, which is it's cute for me to see it, you know, like watching my younger brother. Mm. Um, were you like that with your dad? Yeah, I had him wrapped around my little finger. I bet you did. Yeah. So, I mean, to some extent maybe you've taken that forward into your business life. I think so. Um, and I enjoy it and I idolise my father so at the same time I think I, you know, am attracted to these older, powerful, interesting, charismatic men. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's, it's quite, it's quite, quite it's, it's fascinating to me because we're going to talk about your husband to be shortly. Um, <laughs> you better be listening, dude. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, we're going to go to the break in a moment. I, I guess maybe now is a good time to talk about this. So Fairfax and Roberts um, – it's a well-known brand. I don't know. Is it in every – where is it in Australia, just generally speaking? Is it just in Sydney? Yes. Right. Okay. It's just down the road from me here. I mean, I've walked past it for many, for many, many years. It's next door to the Rolex shop yes. uh, right there in um, Martin Place, Sydney, High Street. Um, it's a fancy joint. It used to be actually be where the Rolex was, wasn't it? It moved yeah. across. Yes. Well, it occupied the whole thing and then I think they did. They took, they took the front. The so front, the yeah. James Kennedy took the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a it's a pretty fancy-looking joint. Um who is your client? Like is it male or female or do you know the split there? Yeah, it's predominantly male. So without alienating anyone in the audience, predominantly middle-aged white man, you know, banker, lawyer type yeah. who comes into the store to buy something for his wife or girlfriend, girlfriend or something like that. Something on the side. <laughs> Second wife. Sometimes they buy two of everything. Yeah. That, um, or, well, I'm sure there'll be some interesting stories yeah. but I'm, we yes. won't talk about it today. There but are it, some successful females. I would like to change that. Um, demographic, but that's what it is now. Right. Do females buy themselves jewellery, generally speaking, as a rule? Not 
as a rule because otherwise we, that number would change. But there is a proportion of our client base that does come in to buy themselves jewellery. Um, you know, we've got some successful barristers and people like that who like to come in and buy themselves something. Female like. barristers, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. If they want something, they'll buy it. Um, and then, of course, we have the disgruntled divorcees who come in to, you know, trade in Trade yeah. in the old stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Serious? Yes. So, 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 so your client in a – uh, gender sense is largely male, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe growingly female, hopefully for your, your point of view because, I mean, you want to have a, a broader marketplace. Yes. Largely male, white, uh, male, which means, you know, some Aussie guy, um, somewhere between, um, you know, 45 and 75 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we do have the young man who will walk in and say, I want to propose um, and buy the engagement ring and that can be – you know, and, and we have this perception that we're unaffordable and expensive, but um, we, ha- we are very, very committed to, you know, our reputation and our brand and our quality. So, in fact, we, if we have a young gentleman who wants to buy an engagement ring at the lower end of the spectrum, we'll still make it to the same quality as the big expensive engagement ring. And, in fact, I think they get the best value at Fairfax and Roberts than anywhere else because if you walk in with a, a small budget to another jeweller, they may cut corners um, to, to sort of can make their margin, but we will never do that because it's a Fairfax and Roberts ring. And is that because you're buying them for life too? So, you know, you, yeah. I, I, I don't want this – a bit like you in your investment bank, I don't want this client just to transact with me once. I want this client to stay with me forever. Exactly, and they will come back for yep. you know, for their entire life and we still have people coming in from you know through generations and, um, you know, you hope that these young men build their wealth over time. What is it that you think you're really selling to your client? Is it jewellery or is it some other thing? What is it you're really selling to the male, predominantly the male client? Well, it's 100% emotion that's the, the driving though? the sale. Which one? Fear? <laughs> <laughs> that she's going to fuck off <laughs> and leave him? Yeah. There's love. I mean, there's the most beautiful customers and they're my favourite who come in and really it's a labour of love. And we have men who come in and will design pieces for their wives and they're beautiful. I'm sure some are. It's duty. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's her 50th, it's our anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i got to buy something. What have you got? Oh, I fucked up. I've got to get her something to keep her on yeah. side. I don't hear that a lot actually. No? It's a lot of – so there's anniversaries, birthdays. But we actually – I see a lot more and I'm sadly a bit of a sceptic in this area but there's – and I know I'm about to get married but there's a, we see a lot of really beautiful stories. Yeah, it's well, can, really well nice. can, I, can I – like I want to scratch <laughs> – I mean I want to just ju- dig into the weeds a little bit around this one like <laughs> if you don't mind but uh, – yeah. Is it his emotion or is it her emotion that the, the person he's buying for that you're catering to? Again, it's very different. I can think of one of our top customers. He comes in and he loves going through the whole journey of designing the piece of jewellery for her. She doesn't even know that it's going to happen. It's always a surprise um, and he gets so invested in it. He loves it. So that's so it's his journey. Her, yeah. I think but he's trying to show his love or express his love how the creation. Can you explain how thing. that works, Deutsche? I know I, you're not getting it. I know, but how can you do I, it? I know I wouldn't do it. But, <laughs> I, but like how, how does it work? Because I've always had difficulty with this concept, okay? I, mean, I have had difficulty with this concept. What is it that a guy is – I mean, it could be lots of different things. It probably is lots of different things. But when he says, I want to buy a beautiful piece of my, my wife and I want to be part of the journey, I want to, I want to design it and, you know, and I'm going to give it to her on a particular day – is it them satisfying themselves and the wife goes, oh, shit, another piece of jewelry. Beautiful, darling, thanks very much. And they put it mm. in the safe and she's got 30 other pieces. Yes, well, we have – well, def- we definitely have clients who think their wife's the most beautiful thing in the world and they can't believe that they chose them and they want to buy them these beautiful things. So perhaps that's just – they've you know, they think they're not good enough for their wife. So we've got that customer. That would be an interesting person to talk to. Yeah. She's so beautiful, I can't believe she married me. And they buy her beautiful things. And, you know, because they're, they're madly in love with her, there's the other one who enjoys the process of making it and I, th- I think it's the labour of love for them um, to have this beautiful thing. They want to um, be creative. They just like yeah. to create something. And create it in honour of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, some of them also have daughters so they talk about having this jewellery that will then be passed on to their daughters. To some extent it's sort of like um, trying to create a permanence out of – because, you know, there is no permanence in life. Um, mm. You know, everything's – fleeting and you know, even our lives are fleeting. They only last a certain amount of time. I guess to some extent jewellery does create permanence. It, it sort of s- says if there is such a thing as called love my or my emotion towards you, 
I am going to put that into this thing that's going to be permanent. Yeah, it's a declaration of love. Yeah, maybe another way of saying it's creation of something permanent that I'm feeling right now. Mm, yeah. Whatever that fucking thing is, yeah. love's a weird word, okay? Let's not get into it now, but love's a fucking <laughs> weird word right? for me anyway. But because uh, I use it for everything. I love my football team, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to go buy them a diamond ring. Um, <laughs> but maybe that's a good way of putting it. Um, the creation of permanence for something I feel right now. Yeah. And uh, because – write that down. We'll use that. Mate, any time. <laughs> You've probably got some jewellery here. You just drop yeah. a bit of jewellery in my yeah. pocket here because I'm sure I can find somebody to give it to. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So, but the creation of something permanent because one thing we don't have in our life and we all hanker for, we all hanker for and, and something we'll never achieve is permanence because one day we're going to be fucking gone. Yeah, and it seems like there's less and less permanence every day. And relationships are less permanent every day. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, we've all been through it. The relationships start off you thinking they're going to go forever and you want them to be permanent forever. Yes. yes. But nothing's forever. Um, seems that way anyway. And, um, in fact, in our lives right now, you and I both experience this. I'm a bit older than you, but, like, we've both seen it and I'm, everything's becoming less permanent and more transactional yes. than ever before. Yeah. So, so to some extent, if younger people understand it, maybe jewellery could become something that is really attractive mm. or the creation of something special to reflect a moment's thought or a moment's feeling because we need to create some permanence. Yes. We, we've got something so transactional. Is, yeah. You know, this I video, know. five seconds, this, this podcast, I'll yeah, listen to 35 seconds or two minutes or three minutes or I'll, I'll flick from this Instagram story to that Instagram story like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, I, it, I it's agree. So it's so transactional. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, maybe we don't, no one needs permanence. But I'll tell you one thing's for sure. They're going to realise as they get older that their time on this earth is not very long. Mm. And, uh, and some, for some people it's, it's tragically very short. Mm. And um, you better leave something behind if you can. Yep. Reputation, families, kids and something to milestone these things. Yeah. That's why we have fucking cemeteries. Yeah. That's why we have headstones. That's our last per- the time, the only permanent thing we ever do, a lot of people, was we fucking put a headstone when it's too fucking late. You're already dead. That's <laughs> their lies, Mark. And anyway, we're going to go to the break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Fairfax Robbers. And I want to talk about your new initiatives. Yes. And uh, I want to talk about what does your husband give you when, uh, you know, you and your husband, be you and he are, own a fucking retail a, a jewellery store. He's not going to give you uh, jewellery, I guess. Let's go to the break and we'll come back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're back from the break. I'm here with Irene Deutsch and she's from Fairfax Roberts. She's a a co-owner and the managing director of the organisation. It's a well-known organisation, at least from my point of view. Um, we've been covering off all sorts of things, established who the client of Fairfax Roberts is and, and to some extent what the emotion is that um, they're selling to, what Fairfax Roberts is servicing. What I want to talk to you about though now, Aaron, is that I understand that um, you guys are sort of pivoting your business a little bit. Um, a little bit. Yeah, so – is that because there's a market segment that you've missed for a long, long time, uh, like a, a less expensive or – can you explain the buy Fairfax and Roberts, what that more means? Yeah, well, it's a diffusion range of jewellery that we launched um, to go in certain stores uh, and it was more just of a business – What does that mean, raising. diffusion, sorry? What diffusion you- is a 
uh, a less expensive range. So basically, you know, it's still got our name to it. It still comes goes through the same quality control as our high-end jewellery, but it's just at a lower price point. So instead of being gold, it's gold-plated. Instead of being um, saltwater pearls, it's freshwater pearls. But it's still beautifully put together um, and it's affordable. So some of the ladies out there who purchase their clothing from s- stores, you know, at a lower price point, they can have a little piece of Fairfax and Roberts to take home. Is that a different age group? Um, it's probably, you know, middle-aged to older ladies and um, really it's a B2B proposition, so um, business to business. It's something that we can do, you know, high volume, lower value, and we white label the stores. Fairfax Roberts um, sources this stuff, mm-hmm. and then you go on to another jewelry store and you provide more a fashion store. A so fashion you're going store. to buy clothing, and there's something there that's, you know, they say, oh, I know that brand, and I've got a piece of Fairfax and Roberts. Um, that's sort of where it was born from. So we were just a B to C proposition. People um, came to you, to your store? Yes. Yep. So high-end customers came in to buy engagement rings and high-end jewellery you know, for gifting purposes. Now this is catering to um, a lower market. You get a little piece of um, what we do and it's it happens everywhere. There's a lot of stores, a lot of sort of um, high-end brands that do this now and there's a lot of co- collaborations you might, you, well, you might not know but, you know, like in Target, you know, there might be a collection designed for Target by Stella McCartney or a high-end fashion designer. It's sort of popular these days. And Is it gives it? everyone right. a, And they sell out in minutes. And we would more go for a chain of stores. Right. So, you know, obviously there's a lot more benefit you, in Can you give an example of a chain? Well, we will be in something like a Noni B. Noni B, So okay. our customer. That's probably, a ladies' brand. It's yep. a ladies' brand. It, you'd find it in shopping centres yep. around Australia. Yep. Um, and, and there'll be some dedicated section a in there. Dedicated section with all your stuff. Yes, and it'll say buy Fairfax Roberts. Buy Fairfax and Roberts. Looks beautiful on. I wear it. I mix it. You know, and a lot of people again in this day and age might mix something designer with something from Zara. Is the style of it cool and sort of on trend, or is it the same style as what you got on your ears at the moment? But but the materials aren't as expensive. Bit of both. You got something, show me. Yeah, give me a look. So it's a beautiful box, and then this beautiful suede pouch. So even when the ladies receive that, they get very excited. So this is amethyst in 18 karat gold. It's a stud. It was a little It's cute. little. So what is it? What, an, an earring. Yep. An amethyst. Yep. So yeah. we use semi-precious stones, gemstones, but they look lovely on and people are excited to receive them. We do it, sell a lot for gifting um, and also for bridal. So if someone wants. That looks cool. Yeah, so these are gorgeous freshwater pearls. And what's the difference between freshwater and saltwater? I mean, like the amount of pearls that are created in the oyster shell. So you know, if you only have one pearl come out of an oyster shell, it's a lot more valuable. We we get these nice from color. a farm, an oyster farm, and our until COVID, our um, production head of production used to fly and pick each pearl from the farm. So we sell the um, saltwater pearls in our store. Uh, at Fairfax and They're Roberts. They're called South Sea Pearls, aren't they? So South Sea Pearls. Yep. And then we sell the freshwater pearls, you know, via this mechanism. So this would be, you know, a hundred and something dollars where the others are thousands. Right. But, you know, a lady will th- feel so happy and special wearing this. So it's we call it out a fusion brand. It's great for gifting and for bridal. So a lot of people who come into our store, there's always a bridal element with their engagement rings, et cetera, but they'll buy that for the mother of the bride or some pearl earrings for the bridesmaids' gifts and things like that. Okay, so it's, so it's really for gifting. Yes. But not necessarily a, a bloke, a, a wealthy white male to his missus or his girlfriend or no. whatever it is. It's, it's more maybe the bride to the bridesmaids. Or, uh, yes. uh, uh, and we might have – so we have a, someone walk into our store and say, I'm here to buy something for my wife for her 50th and he'll buy something from Fairfax and Roberts, a beautiful piece of high-end jewellery. Um, and while he's in there, he'll say, you know what, it's my niece's birthday on the weekend, my goddaughter's birthday, I've got to get my EA something for Christmas, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I like that. Yeah. Yes, and so – That's a nicely, beautifully boxed. I mean, you, you guys boxed. can't see this. It's, it's, it's a very subtle – yeah. And colour, it's, it's, it's quite because nice. Because we, we want to do Smoky everything colour. the best. Mm. And so this allows for us to have someone in the store. And I want the store, when you say pivoting, to be an experience that you come in and it's like a store within a store. You know, there's beautiful high-end jewellery, but there's other things of interest. But you can get this at, 
at some other place too. You can buy this at other places. Noni B is an example. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then we also would white label, so it might be not called Fairfax Roberts, but they get our quality. So, and they love it because they don't get any returns because so, it is high quality. Yeah, so 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 what you're saying though is that um, instead of having buy Fairfax Roberts on there, you might put Noni B on there for yeah. argument's sake. Yeah, yeah. And we'll just produce it for them. That's, that's what, what white label means. Do. A lot yes. of people don't know what that means. Yes. But white labeling means uh, just putting someone else's label on there and uh, but you do the whole lot. Yes. They, they, and um, and is this stuff able to be bought online as well? Yes. From you? Yes. Right. Okay. So so it's so you've got an online strategy, you've got a B two B strategy. Yes. As well as your traditional B two C strategy from your head office here, your, your big store here. Do you have other stores or just one? No, we just have the one. So yeah. that therefore the online component does become important. Right. And so how do you market this? I mean, or do you try and don't market it because you don't want to compete with your white label stores, so to speak? Yeah, we allow the white label stores to take the lead on this. We have an element of it in store. We do have a following um, and, we, you know, for this sort of thing, it's mainly through social media that you try and so you, you, you guys, so is it off the back of Fairfax Roberts? Is it Fairfax and Roberts' social media platform that you use to promote your stuff? So this, Who Hi Fairfax it? and Roberts has an Instagram account. Yep, yep. Fairfax and Roberts has an Instagram account. Right, the different. And the kind of people that follow it might be different. Um, and it's going quite well and what I really want to do is sort of beef up that B2B component of it so where we will white label for the a chain of fashion stores that may have, you know, a gap in this area. So they, their main skill is to do clothing and we can provide the jewellery. So, so it, you know, costume jewellery but it's... I was going to say it, it's, it is sort of costume jewellery but it's yeah. just a bit better. One step up. Yeah, yeah. one step up. So and costume jewellery, I mean, uh, please indulge me but... Um, that's valued by women. Women dig it. They think that's cool. Yeah. Well, this, you know, you can play with, you can put on with your different outfits and, and also because it's real so that's good quality but it's not so it doesn't really break the bank so to speak. So it also appeals to a young corporate You don't have to insure it. If you lose it, it doesn't matter no. that much. They wear it to work. It looks smart. They can wear it out that night. Um, we've got pearls, metals and gemstones, a whole lot of stuff. Well, let's talk about the various product lines if you well, – Yes. Excuse whatever you guys call it. Um, in terms of your audience, let's say, let, let's not talk about the 45 plus audience. Let's talk about the younger audience. I mean, I'm assuming you want to get to them. Um, they probably don't go to Noni B, but I'm, no. sh- I'm sure there's a, a chain of stores you use that the younger people go to. I don't know if you're at Zara or whatever, but like one of those sort of stores, let's just say for argument's sake. What research do you do to see whether or not the uh, the new young executive at Macquarie Bank, female, BCom, uh, honours <laughs> degree, University of New South Wales, just been recruited by Macquarie, decided to do a PhD in um, you know computer science, um, she's twenty five years of age, hot shot in terms of her job and work. What research do you do because she's not going to wear pearls. Well, you know what pearls is are she? actually is she quite in fashion. Maybe that I don't know. I'm I'm there. not. I'm being rhetoric yes. in that sense. Yeah. Yes. So we have um, a head of production that works for the store who's very, very. I call her Nostradamus because she predicts every trend that's coming, and she's. Well, how does she? Right? That's I want. That's what I want to know. That's what I want my audience yeah. to find out. How do you work this shit out? You can't just produce what you want and put it in there so they'll buy it because you need. You have to. Produce what they want to buy. Yeah. So we understand what fashion is coming, what fashion trends are coming for the upcoming seasons and then we match jewellery to it. Is, it. is it about – so I don't understand this. That's one. When you say fashion trends, so they don't buy this for um, – as a classic thing. They buy it as a fashion thing. Yes. Well, it's a bit of both because I think pearls are always considered classic. The rest are a fashion thing. Um, we try and make ours have an element of classic to it because of our name and our brand and our heritage. Um, but we are all influenced. We are liking what we're liking right now and wearing what we're wearing right now because someone told us that that was in. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a, um, a fact. And so we can feed into that information just as much as anyone else. And if we're dealing with a fashion chain, we will be speaking to them. They're producing six months ahead. So what, you you find out what they're gonna what, what clothes they're gonna bring out and yeah. you and you asking them what yeah. jewelry the people so might this want will, to purple winter that's coming is that right everybody yes <laughs> purple's winter color is that right yeah yeah coming. okay okay mm. so we're ahead of our time here so yeah. so we're uh, ready to go okay okay great <laughs> and uh, but but I'm the sort of guy I've had, had a daughter like she'd have all the most expensive jewelry in the world like uh, I'd be completely fucked I mean I'd have no idea and I'd just be buying whatever she said that I need this that that like I had four boys and have any daughters but um. 
but I, but my gut feeling, because my mother used to always say to me, um, less as old, but she used to always say to me, uh, pearls are a really important item for a female. My mum used to mm. always say to me, um, and obviously she's old school, but um, she used to always say that, um, is that still the case? Like it's like, it's really like a, a must have in your. Yes, I think so. It's a classic and they're beautiful and they're elegant and they But elevate. is that because you and I are a little bit older Deutsche, like, or is it because is it is that how they think the younger girls? Yeah, well, I'm telling you, they've been in different. There's all different uh, iterations of pearls, but uh, and you know, sort of anything bigger and a bit misshapen, a bit off kilter, has definitely been in fashion. But I think a classic strand of pearls always looks beautiful because the younger people will use the excuse. I would, and I've heard this. The younger people will use the excuse. Um, I'll pay. I'll buy this because it's cool, it's quirky, and largely it's not as expensive. Generally speaking, in terms of design, a lot of the really quirky stuff is a bit cheaper. And uh, the younger people say, "Well, therefore, I like quirky because <laughs> they're, they're not stupid." Yeah. And they also they're very again they're very transactional. So they're a bit of a throwaway society, or I'll cast it aside if it didn't work, and I'll go get something else. Is that is that correct? Yes and no. So, um, you know, obviously if you're buying yourself diamond jewellery, you're not going to cast that aside and that's still happening. So we're still, you know, a lot of our business is young people coming in for their engagement rings and, you know, they might be influenced by the current fashion and they'll bring a photo in of someone they know who's famous, an influencer, a celebrity, and say, I want a ring that oh, looks really? like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Serious? Yeah. Um, but there's cool. an element of permanence yeah, yeah, to that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But I think they're very good at mixing both. So you have something expensive and something not so expensive that, you know, they'll wear together. And, and where do you think um, I mean, as, a, as a reflection or as an observation on that market between 20 and 30, where do you think they're going? I mean, are they just going to um, over time merge into the traditional classic type of jewellery and just go you know, the old system like – things that Fairfax Rob has been doing for you know, 100 years or do you think jewellery is going to change over time and there's a new era of people and therefore that's the reason why you've got your, your, got your new range. Where do you think jewellery is going? Yeah, I mean that's a great question because I watch the young generation and I lament with, um, you know, just their um, obsession with material things. Having said that, you know, I, I love beautiful, sparkly, shiny things just as much as anyone else. And I think, you know, a lot of the time you do revert to the classic. I can't see disruption of jewellery in the sense that there's suddenly a whole new look because it's that classic that is what makes it beautiful. You know, there's obviously these lab-grown diamonds, um, which is not something we'd go into, but, um, you know, people like those because they can get something a lot bigger for what they can afford. Right. So there's definitely this movement towards everything having to be bigger and flashier. Can, can you tell? Can you tell? Can your people you're in your shop? It is very hard to tell. Is it? Yeah. Mm. So like if you get a lab-grown, so to speak, um, diamond that's like a carrot and then you mm. get a, one that got dug out of the ground that's a carrot Yeah. and they're both cut, let's it say. It can that. be very difficult to the human eye. You can There is machinery that can detect it but that's – the reason that a lot of young people were moving towards it is because they thought it was um, better for the environment. You know, they, they, there's a lot of people that don't. So there's no mining. Yes, and all that sort of stuff. But having said that, I think the amount of pressure that's exerted on this stone to create the lab-grown diamond and they're now sort of working out that creates a lot of emissions so it's not as sustainable as once thought. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where that industry goes. Can, can you uh, – I mean, this is a out-there question, but do you ever sort of step back and say – Hard for you to answer this one, I guess, but what the fuck? Like a little thing so small, sure, it was under thousands of years, of millions of years of intense pressure and heat and it's formed a diamond out of a bit of carbon. People were prepared to pay me a shitload of money for that. Do you ever think, what the fuck? Like, is this all bullshit? Or, I mean, I mean, it's hard for you to answer because, you, you know, it's your living, but... Do you ever step back and think about that? Like, yeah, I mean, because it's a bit, it's it's one of the big mysteries to me. Honestly, it is. I know, but I don't understand why someone spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on a car. Me either. No, not so, anymore. I used to. Yeah. So, but don't you ever? I don't you ever think I just maybe I should just go live on a desert island and grow my own vegetables? Yeah, I, yeah. I have that thought. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And well, then, how do you reconcile it? What do you do? What do you do? Well, that's hard because then I look down at the cabinets and everything's sparkling up at me. I think. Yeah, what well, is that? It gets it gets I everybody. Don't I don't know. Health, all these other things are far more important. 
Um, but why do we still get, you know, what, what you well, wearing? What is that? What is that? Watch, watch right now. No, no, no. Go, no, no. I've got my uh, IWC solid gold, white yeah. gold watch. Why do we love that? Well, I bought that for myself uh, 20, uh, something like 20 years ago as a present um, because I just sold Wizard and I thought, if I, I've never had a really expensive watch, I'm going to get one. And I, and I love this watch. Um, it's sort of become part of my arm now. I don't even look at yeah, it. So um, it has meaning. So I guess an engagement ring has meaning. It comes back to that declaration of love. And as we said, you know, I'm about to go the second time. And if he said, oh, we, you don't need a ring, I probably wouldn't have been happy with said, that. He said, fuck you. <laughs> and, of so course, well, I said, what's we his own name? a jewellery shop. What's his, his name? His name's Morris. Morris. Morris what? <laughs> what's his second name? He's going to kill me. Morris Simons. Morris Simons. Okay. So Morris did he buy Fairfax Roberts? Yes. Yes. Because I remember someone else owned Fairfax Roberts many years ago. Um, yeah. Um, a, a tall guy with grey hair. I can't remember his name. Many well, there was originally obviously Fairfax and Roberts. There were people the called Fairfax and Roberts. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then there was someone else and he did buy it. He bought it 20-odd years ago. Yeah, he was from Hong Kong. He came to Australia from Hong Kong. He used to, I oh, remember Hong, I, yes. the, the, the guy he worked for was a client of mine many years ago. Um, and he, the client of – the guy was – I won't say his name, but his nickname in Hong Kong was a smiling tiger. He was a very, very famous guy, and uh, unfortunately died. But the guy who bought Fairfax Robbins was his right hand man, and ah. uh, and he came to Australia because the whole the business was sold in Hong Kong, and he came to Australia. And he bought Fairfax Robbins. He told me about it. So since that, since then, Morris has bought Fairfax Robbins. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and you're marrying Morris, Morris. not very soon. Yes, in ten days' time. In ten days' time. Wow. <laughs> and now, so so blushing bride. And so you've gone from being a hard ass but very effective investment banker into the jewelry world. Yes. So I quit banking a few years ago. You know, I remember. I, I, remember, I, remember years. I remember. We talked about. Yes. yes remember, I came. Uh, yeah, so I was having it. a moment in time. Yep. I came to speak to you, get your advice. Yep. And um, I was going to just consult. You know, my kids have finished private school. So I thought I can take a step back a little bit. Expensive exercise. Yes. And, uh, you know, work a little bit less and I was going to consult. And Morris at the time said, why can't you help me? Yep. <laughs> so I started to help him with Fairfax and Roberts and now I've sort of ended up running it and still thinking about doing my own thing. And he said, okay, what if I make you a partner and give you half of the business? So then I thought, okay, now I'm interested. That's a different deal. in the game, yep. And can you tell me how your organisation, Fairfax Roberts, um, how you how how do you strategize where the market's going to? How, I mean, do you collaborate, or is it a collaboration, or is it um, Irene says this, or Morris says that? How, how does it work? In, in an organisation yep. been around for hundred years. Yes. So I, you know, am a banker through and through. I didn't really know the jewellery world. All I know is I like it, <laughs> um, and so. Um, I've got a great team around me who do understand jewellery and I'm someone who is very collaborative, I'm very transparent and I really like to get the staff involved in all the decisions. I've got, we've got a workshop so we make the jewellery in-house which is a, a big selling point for us but it's, it's also beautiful. So the team and I come up with what's going forward and generally the decisions I make will be based on the fact that I think as someone who may represent our customer base I like it uh, my salespeople tell me it's something they can sell and the people who work for me who make jewellery, you know, say this is good quality. And if I can tick those three ticks, then I'll sort of... And then pricing, how do you price? Well, the majority of what we do is custom made. Um, so it's piece by piece. Um, believe it or not, there's very little margin in a diamond. So, um, you know, that you don't make a lot of money there. We just price up the, the goods we use and the labour that goes into it. But there's um, stuff the in your window. I mean, uh, you, I mean... You, do you sell, just sell stuff out of the window or do you everything yeah. like bespoke, so to speak? We have stuff in the shop that people buy. So we, a lot of it is bespoke. There's a few pieces that are we make that are in the showroom that people can come in and buy. We also have another brand that we sell called David Yerman, which is a very successful um, US brand. I believe outsell Tiffany's in the US and um, that does very well for us as well. So a lot of people come in to buy that. So I, I'm just looking at you and think, I'm listening to you and, I'm, I, and I, I've known you for a long time and I'm thinking at the end of um, young James Kennedy, who's not young anymore but um, maybe 40 or something, but um, who's next door to you in the Rolex store there and, um, and they have jewellery stores down in the Crown, et cetera. And I was thinking of his mum, Martha, who I've known for a million years. You know Martha? No, but I, his father, my father was Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. And his father was Hungarian yeah, and they well, knew each well, other. Louis was a client of mine. Right. That's how I know James. So yeah, right. I remember old Louis Kennedy. Uh, yep. James' dad, um, and Louis married a woman called Martha, a Greek woman, 
and her sister Rose. And uh, she married both of them. Yes. Married one <laughs> Thank of them. God. And um, and they had a shop in Double Bay. And uh, LK, it was called LK Jewelers in those days. And Louis unfortunately passed away, but uh, um, many many years ago. And um, James took over as a kid. And um, and I was just thinking, Martha was a massive part of the success of that business. Louis was always sitting in the Cosmopolitan Double Bay sip, sipping coffee, but it was Martha and her sister always behind the the counter. One of the things I, I noticed is that Louis. It was good, great, and as you say, he was a he was a, a real wily old Hungarian dude, and he, I'm sure he was really good on cost of goods, like buying things well. You know, like he was smart; he knew the jewelry industry. But Martha drove it. She and she really pushed hard, and she was much younger than Louis. Um, and a, a business needs to be revitalized every now and then. I'm like, just my feeling is, I know disrespect to Morris, I don't even know Morris, but I'm just wondering whether or not. He gave you half. He loves you, all that sort of stuff. That's that's better than a diamond ring, by the way. Yeah. He's giving you all the diamond rings, but he loves you. But but really, it's it's smart that he's got someone like Irene in there who's younger and has got all this great experience. But she's a driven person. Um, do you sort of read it that way? I mean, does that am I being am I on the money here? Yeah. So without you know, I'm not putting anyone down. Horn, no, yeah. but I wouldn't have taken that job if someone offered me that job. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got yeah. someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's well qualified for the job. And I've come in with a new set of eyes. So yeah, yeah, totally. A, we are partners. So, you know, it's more of a family business. I'm driven and there's that element of ownership and care yep. rather than having someone that you've you, hired to put in the job. Or rather than you working for your husband as well. Yeah. It's it's not quite the same. No, and we're a partnership and we talk yeah, about totally. it at home and we really enjoy that part of our relationship. Um, you know, we that that's, I think, one of the attractions. It gives you something in common. Bra- yeah. And so we, we love all of that. Um, and not to put down any of my predecessors, but they weren't it, – it, it's not wasn't the same for them. Yeah. It was harder for them because they did report into him and they didn't have the skin in the game. I am driven. I always have been driven. I can't help that part of me. So I really want to make a real go of it. Yeah, and, but, a bit, a bit, but also it's not just skin in the game. It, for me, I mean, I often say this to people, when you're employing somebody, if you want someone to be in your business, you've got to have people who think like a proprietor. And the, most, the easiest way to get someone to think like a proprietor is actually give them a proprietorship. Yes. That means ownership. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you want someone to think like a proprietor, there's a, that's, a, that's an emotional thing. Mm. It's, not a, it's not a skill. Yes. You know, thinking like a proprietor. Like, you know Ginge, right? Ginge, David Ginge. Ginge thought he owned Channel 9. Mm. But that's what you and want. that's why he ran it so well. Yeah. Because he, he ran it like a proprietor. Mm. Like, you know, he was born to run the joint. Uh, you know, that's, that's his history as, mm. a, as a Ginge packer. Although he'd hate me for saying that yeah. um, today. But, uh, um, but still, he ran it because he, it was like he owned the joint. And, yes. I, and I think it's so powerful when someone has proprietorship in a business or mm. thinks like that, the business does so much better. Yeah, and coming back to Macquarie Bank, that's how they make each 100%. employee think. And that's also why I'm a believer in being a transparent manager, also hiring people around you that are smarter than you, which a lot of people don't do because they feel threatened. But yeah, back 100%. to your mate Kerry Packer, he would surround himself by the smartest people because it lifts, elevates the whole business. And when you're transparent, if you share with your staff how much money you're making or spending, their behaviour will automatically change so that they will spend less money and make more money because they can see it and they want to succeed just as much as you do yeah. if you've hired the same kind of people around you. So um, that's I'm running it and I think that's the different lens I've brought to this business. I've brought in the banker's mind, which doesn't always translate to every industry, but I've just look, I just look at the numbers, I've cut costs, um, I've worked out what we need to do to increase revenue whilst allowing the people around me to do the jewellery and do what they know how to do. I know you brought something else in because um, uh, yes. we're running out of time. Okay. Now, so let's have a look at what you've got. So we decided also to add luxury homewares to the line and really it was sort of a, a gut feel. Morris and I were travelling in Europe and we found a store in Italy where you could design your own bespoke Set of plates. Homeware's so, being plates and shit like that. But yes, and so shit, but yeah. we thought, what a great idea! And really, again, back to the numbers. It's something we don't hold a lot of stock. You come in, you design it. You might want to put mark all over the plate, <laughs> and we get it made. Um, and but it's also beautiful and meaningful and custom, and and carries on that tradition of Fairfax and Roberts that everything is made. So I'll show you. This is just a pattern that anyone you know can design their own sort of pattern. It's pretty cool. I like yes. I love the colours. And you can put the platinum, you can put the gold around the edge and you can make a whole beautiful set out of it. And what's special about it, it is yours. No one else will have it. You can come in and have any design you want. 
So any is, color. Is this, I mean, this is the stuff that you know. If someone's getting married, you, you, you like if your yes, sons again, get married, bridal, you're, yeah. Because I remember when I got married um, the very first time, which was like a fucking long time ago, forty five years ago. Um, um, my grandmother, my yaya, she gave me uh, a plate, a set of plates. Um, yes, that's what everyone gets. And uh, and it was uh, it was um, uh, what, what's one of the really fancy brands? Uh, you know, like you know. Or whatever like they call Wedgwood or Wedgwood, it was Wedgwood, like but it had a Greek the Greek key in it because she's Greek, of course, and it had the Greek key in it, and it was a um, sort of maroon color with white. And uh, when I got divorced, which is five years later, um, my ex-wife took it, and I was filthy. Um, <laughs> and so I went out and bought myself a whole new set because only just to replace. I couldn't give a shit about. It. I still got it actually. I got it in my office down there. Mm. Um, I bought it because I just wanted to make sure that I had something to mark the memory of what my grandmother had done for me. Yes. I understand. The occasion, so not on my wedding, but the actual. But we're describing that yeah. again. I, I wanted, I wanted that. Jury. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's the feeling. So what you're saying is, if someone gets divorced and their missus or their husband has taken the thing that you got, like the plates, go to Fairfax Roberts and they'll redesign it for you. In fact, they'll redesign something with you even fucking better. And we'll have people come in. They'll put um, flowers on the plate to represent what's in their garden, or you know, they might have the family crest on their. Um, and family crest. Family crest. Have you got one of those? No. Fucking <laughs> <I'm like, I laughs> family crest. Line of Hungarian yeah, peasants. Are you serious? <laughs> Same here. Yeah. What's Greek peasants. Crest? Who would know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but know, yeah, it yeah, some people get it. The boat, their holiday. Oh home. my god. Okay, but, but that's cool. Look, whatever floats you your boat, you or so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want. It's yeah. completely one hundred percent custom. What's it called? This is called number nineteen because we're on nineteen Castlereagh Street. Okay, so, so this line of uh, product is called Number 19, which is basically bespoke, so to speak, yes, uh, tableware. Beautiful. Is that the word, tableware? Yes, and then we import other brands. Again, we go and look around the world for brands that you can't get anywhere else um, that are exquisitely made. You know, I've got things here from Latvia, from Mexico. Latvia, one of my favourite countries. Another one of my wife. She was Latvia. Okay, Irene Deutsch, <laughs> great podcast. Love what you've got here. Um, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis.